Welcome to TSOB with Dr. G, a podcast featuring intellectual table talk about race and sexuality. I'm your host, Dr. Tracy Q. Gilbert, a sexuality educator, writer, and researcher. Join me as I talk with the most brilliant minds in human sexuality, applying a professional Black lens to discussions about sexiness, health, and healing in the new millennium. It's TSOB, the sex ed of Black folk. Let's get to the get down, shall we? All right, all right. Hello, everyone. Hey, class, how y'all doing? It is me, Dr. G. Y'all already know I'm so excited to introduce you all to a new season of TSOB with me, Dr. G. Y'all, I would ask if you've missed me, but I know the truth is yes, you've missed these conversations and I have missed talking with you all too. Um, thankfully, I had enough sense to put in a break because making this show is a lot of effort, but um, I'm grateful for all the energy that was put in and all the folks who have just been giving us such positive energy. Um, I'm excited about the new season because we have a bunch of great guests on the way and we have one today that is no different, um, talking about none other than Dr. Lex Brown James. So I'm going to read uh, Dr. James's profile and then we're gonna get into this conversation as usual. So um, Dr. Lex Brown James uses she, her, and doctor pronouns and is an Amazon best-selling author, a licensed marriage and family therapist, and sexologist. Dr. Lex loves love, a woman after my own heart, <laughs> and is especially fond of ensuring that Black love lasts. As the hashtag couples clinician, she works to ensure folks build and maintain fulfilling intimate relationships. And at the Institute, the Institute for Sexuality and Intimacy that she founded, um, Dr. Lex believes that healing does happen and works to take care of the relationship between lovers versus the ego of lovers. Ooh, that's deep. Hopefully we'll get into that. Um, she also merges education and therapy using her skill set training professionals within and outside human sexuality. In terms of professional development, Dr. Lex works to support organizations in decentralizing harmful, oppressive practices with their clientele. In classrooms and trainings, Dr. Lex utilizes experiential pedagogy coupled with affective-based learning to challenge attitudes and support learners and being able to apply knowledge and skills. And so with that, thank you so much for being on TSOB with me, Dr. Lex. Hello, hello, hello. Hey, girl. Hey, hey, hey. That was, oh my God, I'm so ecstatic. I have goosebumps. I have goosebumps. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm, I'm so happy. It's funny because... Um, there are so many people on my list that I'm like, I have to get a conversation with them. I have to get a conversation with them. But at the beginning of this show, I was very clear that I needed to have, unlike a lot of other places in my life, but this is not going to be a therapy session for me. Um, I don't have much, as much of a work-life balance. And mm -hmm. so I was like, this is going to be one of the exceptions. I could, in fact, do an episode every week, but I'm not going to do that because I know I will be burned out. Mm -hmm. And so um, when I was like, okay, I'm only doing eight episodes for the first season, I was like, God damn it. <sighs> Out of all the people in my world, which eight are going to be there? Mm -hmm. And so I picked my eight, but I was like, okay, so then that means Lex has to come be at the top of next season <laughs> because I was like, Lex absolutely has to be on the show, but I got to like pace mm -hmm. it out. So, I'm, I'm good. I'm good with being a sixth man. 
I'm good. I like to energize. I love to kick things off. I like to come in with the revamp and the, yes. wait, is this a little bit different? What's going on? I love that yes, position. Yes, yes. I will take it all day. <laughs> so I'm glad you're here. And I know no one takes offense at it, but I'm just like, I hope folks know that even if I don't pick you until like later or ask you to come until like later in the year, it's just because I need the balance or else I just have a big ass conversation with like 52 different people and like, oh, let's all talk at once. So, but anywho, um, I am so glad you are here. I am really looking forward to our conversation. I'm going to go ahead and jump right in with our first question. And you've heard the show, so um, hopefully you kind of already know where I'm going. Um, So my first question is, where are you from? Where are your people from? And what's got you thinking about sex or sexuality these days? Oh my gosh. So that is the perfect question because I just relocated to Philadelphia. So I'm up north. And I'm raising my family yes. and my kids are going to be northerners. And I was like, oh, I don't know how I feel about that because I am from the South. I am a black, fat, southern woman. Um, yes, I was yes, born yes. in, I was born in middle big, America. Big legs, big Yes, stockings. thick thighs, safe lives, and cell phones. Uh, <laughs> and I'm a recovering Baptist, right? So, like, there are so many things that are so in inbred in me from being a southerner mm-hmm. that I, I carry with me and I really value the fact that my family is from Chula, Mississippi, right? Yes. And my mama picked cotton in the summers with her grandma and my grandma make peach cobbler. You know, so like there's just there's something about being a southern black woman and having survived that. I love that. I love that. You are already digging into like the meat of our conversation. I love that. Um, I want to pull it back out just a little bit, though. Mm-hmm. So, so so we have, wait, it was St. Louis, right? And I'm putting it because I know this about you, that right. St. Louis and yep. then Mississippi. And then I know Georgia was in there at some oh, point. Oh, and- oh, child. <laughs> so I was born in St. Louis, um, lived there all of a whole two years, uh, mm-hmm. moved to Virginia, West Virginia, uh, Texas and then Atlanta. And so I spent a majority, I was in Atlanta by the time I was in third grade and then spent mm. the rest of my life in Atlanta, specifically college park inside of 285. Um, gotcha. and so lived there, went to college there. So uh-huh. Atlanta, basically, yeah. if we could erase and Texas. And now you are up North. And now You're we're up North. All over, just world tour. Love right? it. Love right. it. Love it. <laughs> and so I, you brought in so much. And so I think Really succinctly, how do you think race or your experience of being a Black femme has really impacted the way you see sex? So my introduction to sex and sexuality was hard. Um, the the school where we were the two Black kids, uh, the little boy told me that he was going to rape me because that's what Black girls were for. Oh, my. And he tried to drag me into this corner in the classroom and my brother fought him and whooped his ass. Um, and then we promptly both got in trouble for it. Uh, and then there was another thing where, um, some girls were trying to see my brother's black penis cause they'd never seen one before. And these were quote mm-hmm. unquote my friends. And we again, mm-hmm. got into another fight and promptly got in trouble for it. So, um, that was my introduced like introduction to something about my body and my skin specifically raises these ideas and notions that I didn't understand at the time what that was. Mm-hmm. And my mom, who who prides herself on being modelesque and always put together, same with my grams. Again, that southerner, like you gonna go outside with face without face on. We're gonna establish for the record that both of them are fly. Absolutely, <laughs> thank you. Shouts thank out you. to both mom and grandma. They're, just, both, like, they're both dope people. We going to the grocery store? Uh huh. Put on your heels. Like oh, okay. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> you always look your best, right? So that really informed. I had to I had to undo those kind of negative internalizations, especially, you, you know, all the stuff that comes with being black and a bigger girl and mm-hmm. being in a neighborhood and having a big booty and not necessarily mm-hmm. knowing all those things. But I definitely remember walking home from elementary school and a hoopty. It was a Caprice classic pulling up next to me asking if they can give me a ride home. And I was in fifth grade. Mm-hmm. I was like, um, mm-hmm. no, sir, I don't get in cars with strangers. I'm going to continue to walk home. In my basketball right. shorts, in my A shirt. Appreciate you. I think I'm all right. <laughs> right. I think so, I'm okay. stranger danger. Right. right. Like, right. <laughs> so I, I, I got that early. I got that early on, and then I knew I had to to have my guard up early on because of how people would see me as mm. sexy, even though mm-hmm. that's not how I saw myself until much later in my life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Yeah. And and obviously, I mean, this is definitely resonant with so much that I've heard from people. Um, I, I was like, I actually, for the folks listening, I actually just threw in a research question for my own work here to, to expand this conversation. Um, because yeah, so many people, and, I, and often I think that conversation gets lost in the sex ed classroom. For a lot of it is because there's really just not been a precedent of understanding that race does affect the way mm-hmm. folks think about sex and sexuality. Um, but then there's also this idea of like, well, you know, we have to think about this and that. And, and so I think a lot of practitioners and folks who teach sex ed, they don't realize, oh, this is something that needs to be brought into the classroom, right? Mm-hmm. When we're talking about consent, when we're talking about um, self-esteem, mm-hmm. you know, in different conversations, acknowledging that some of us self-esteem is intersected with a lot of different other experiences mm-hmm. that if you're not teasing those out, you are missing what students need in the classroom. So mm-hmm. I definitely mm-hmm. appreciate you. Come on, active research. Listen, listen, we, you know what, you know what it is. You know how we do, right? Like, like for folks listening, the folks that don't know, you know, Lex and I, um, go now, how long has it been? It's been 10 years, I think. Oh my God. Cause we met in fall of 20, 20 almost I think 2011. A, yeah. So 2010. It was, no, we met in, no. I don't know, but it's been a decade. It's, oh, yeah. it, is, it, it has been 2010. Oh my God, it's been over 10 years because I started, we were both in grad school together. Yes. And so, wow. <laughs> God damn <bro>. it. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. well, I'm old. You're not yet, but you're getting there. I'm you're good and grown there. now. I'm good and grown. You're getting close to grown. When, when we first met, Lex was Lex was the, not really the baby, but kind of the baby. Um, I just remember your, your 25th birthday party, which was super fun. <laughs> So we were we, we we came together at that point, and um, it's been a great experience. Um, but yeah, I just you know how we do, how we've been trained, and how we've been taught to like mm-hmm. look at what's happening around us and think about all the different factors that come into play with that. So um, let's move on. Let's move on to my next question. Um, there's so many things about what your your initial what you were talking about. I want to dig into, mm. but I want to have you talk tell the folks um, what you would say your sex ed superpower is. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's funny. I've been talking a lot more about this than I uh, maybe intended to because, you know, things come to you like they're supposed mm-hmm. to. So I could be prepped for this question. Uh, so I think that my sex ed superpower is translation. Mm. I think I take the yuck that people put out there and translate it into the yum that they mean. Mm. And in my work, specifically with couples, and typically the men, I'm going to say, they look at me and they say, please, God, can you help me tell her what I'm trying to tell her? Like, <laughs> this is what I am trying to say. Can yes. you? And I'm really good at that. I'm really good at, at getting to the meat up under 
the the farce that people have put up for protection um mm-hmm. and i think i think that is absolutely my superpower i get to hear what's in between and i always check to see if that's what's what they mean or i'm like correct me mm-hmm. if i'm wrong and they're like nope it's that it's those yeah. words right can you write that down because that is exactly <laughs> what i'm trying to say write it down so, so you can read it the next time this happens right <laughs> Yes, exactly. So I definitely think that's a superpower. It's it's not something that everybody has the ability to to, to do. Agreed. I agreed. I and I actually I love that you said that because one of the things that I wanted to point out in my mind based on what you were talking about initially with the relationship with your mother is that and I think it does relate to translation is your capacity to translate even high level understandings to young people, right? Oh, so wow. the, my main thing, I was like, okay, so let's get into shame-free sex ed and talk about <laughs> how you, um, as a parent, how you talk about sex with your young people, the young people in your home, because and sexual topics, because I am... Like, you know, oh, you there's know. a bunch of folks, you know, but we, we, in last season, we had Melissa Carnegie on the show. Mm-hmm. I know there's Nadine Thornhill. There's lots of folks who specialize in being able to do K-12 based sex ed. Um, and I think about your experience and the stories you tell about your children and <laughs> like, obviously young people are funny just on GP, but just the ways that you were able to break down things. I don't get impressed very often. I mean, you know me, you know, I don't get impressed very often, (laughs) but I read these conversations and I'm like, oh my goodness. I, I don't know if I'd have known what to say in that situation, (laughs) but you like come in and you break down things. And I feel like you, and where it's like, no, that is absolutely age appropriate in terms of how young people and Mm -hmm. and babies even, well, they're not babies anymore, but like super young people. So don't call them babies to their face, child. They will correct you. (laughs) They will correct you. Okay. Well, tell us, tell us a little bit more about what that's been like becoming a parent and having to translate for younger folks, these, these sexual uh, conversations. Right. So the, my, my youngsters, my, my haters, uh, my gens (laughs) are uh, a new four and two and a half, just about, right? So yeah. at, at that toddler stage, and so I'm really dedicated to shame-free sex ed for toddlers. Uh, being, again, from the South, uh, originally as a kid who was, my voice got amplified mm-hmm. in my home and, and with my parents. That is not how I got to exist outside of my home, right? Mm-hmm. In other places, it's considered disrespectful. A child was still supposed to be seen and not heard. Um mm-hmm. I run into adults who still call their clitoris their nipple, their third mm-hmm. nipple, right? Mm-hmm. And I read a study from like 1990-something that talked about language to use with children to help prevent sexual assault and sexual grooming. And it's so pervasive in the Black community because we don't talk about it, because it's pushed under the rug, because people just avoid Uncle Ronnie and don't let their kids go off with him. But mm-hmm. all of that stuff. And then the peer-to-peer stuff between cousins, right? Nobody says these things. And I was like, I, I got to do something different for my kids. And mm-hmm. I, I had postpartum depression the first time really, really badly. I used to stay up. Um, between the hours of three and six, which I was supposed to have, um, my partner would take my kids. So between midnight and 3 a.m., I would just cry and sob uh, mm-hmm. because I didn't feel good enough. And I was afraid that I was going to mess up this tiny human that was perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and she looked like a, a Mrs. Michelin man. She was perfect and chunky <laughs> and, <laughs> and amazing. Yes. Uh, and I, I wanted her to be different. So I taught her vulva. And that was one of her first three words. 
and I will use it was. her and him um, <laughs> pronouns because Garnet uses her him pronouns and not they. Uh, so I'll switch in between Braxton. We don't know yet. So I used mm-hmm. she and her with her. But um, I wanted to raise them to to have body autonomy, to not have their voices stomped out like so many young black femmes get their voices stomped out, to always know that they have a place of safety and they have a right over what their bodies will and will not do within reason and safety. Right. Mm -hmm. It backfires like fuck on me (laughs) all of the time. (laughs) Because they're smart and they're savvy and they ask questions. And I'm just like, how do I answer this? <laughs> and there's paths. I swear there's paths I see in front of me. I'm like, do I talk about masturbation at this time? Do I talk about pleasure? Do I talk about this is just something people do? Do I avoid it? Right. Yeah, and typically yeah. we air away from the avoidance because I don't want them to get so curious that they go find out for themselves with somebody else and possibly have a consent violation or boundary violation. Right, so I'm like, what's right, the path? That gives them exactly what they need right now. What are they asking? And that means I have to ask questions. And so I want to be able to share that with other parents because I get, hey, Lex, can you talk to my friend's kid? Like my friend has something happen with their kid in my inbox nonstop. I get text messages. Mm. I get, <laughs> I'm like, hey, there's this place called Sex Positive Families. There are books yes. about this. You can yes. go in and they're like, nah, but they want to talk to somebody. Or and I'm like, okay, let's so talk more about race. it. Let's talk about that. <laughs> Right. We can talk about it, but that's that's a service. Right, right. So I get that and I'm realizing like we weren't equipped. Like and you say it all the time, right? Like you still waiting on your sex talk. Like we weren't we, we I mean me and my equipped. mama, to be fair, me and my mama have had a few since she found out <laughs> I said that. But yes. <laughs> For a long time I was waiting. <laughs> right. So that's what's super important, right? So I wanted to make sure that my kid had that and my mom was super open. One no boundaries, one no privacy. I'm like, ooh, <laughs> let's let's walk the line. Like let's let's walk a line. Because I'm gonna give them privacy and I want that openness too. And that's what we're trying to create and cultivate. Like I think we're doing it. I think we're doing an okay job at it right now. There are still questionable days, but that has been the goal <laughs> I around. Think you're doing amazing. I think your kids are super amazing they're super intelligent and just they have I I think they have the type of confidence I wish I had at that age because you're right I think um actually Marietta Gary Smith um when I had talked with her about this we talked about what it was like kind of growing up as a black femme and I think um the one thing that I appreciate about newer generations of black femmes is that there seems to be less of this self-censoring that happens where it's like well I don't want to be too much I don't want to be too happy I don't want to be too in love with myself because Mm -hmm. we grew up in an era where it was like you were taught that you're just enough right and and we internalize this notion of like well I'm not as stellar as I am so let me Mm -hmm. not be all the things that I want to be, you know, kind of float under the radar. Whereas I see, you know, your kids, I see all, all types of babies. I see, you know, even celebrity kids like Kavia James, where I'm like, really, baby, you just like, Mm -hmm. no, no, mm -mm. I'm not sharing with you. I'm living my best life. Get out of my face. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. (laughs) And of course we don't want our kids to be like, you know, aggressively rude or anything Mm -hmm. like that. But, but just being able to say what's on your mind and it not, be a violation, right? And and I think that is so absolutely related to sexual development, right? The ability to know what you want, know what you don't want, and to be able to negotiate that, right? Like I, you, I say it all the time. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, I'm saying you're just on the <laughs> nose. Thank you for validating yeah. that because that's exactly what it is. 
And I didn't, that just literally clicked for me because I had this conversation with my lover, the gem's dad. And I was just like, yo, I'm trying to raise black girls that when they come up against the things that will try and crush them down, they're just going to move it out the way and keep trying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because like, I, I think about like, don't get me wrong. I respect therapists. Absolutely. But I think we wouldn't need therapists as much as we did if we had educators, if we had people in the classroom who were able to normalize the basic pieces of living such that you don't need to repair it as you, mm-hmm. as you get older. Right. We, mm-hmm. That's like a Frederick Douglass quote quote right it's easier to raise good kids than repair broken men i don't know yeah but it's that that same idea that general principle and so i I love that absolutely um dang it we started talking and i completely forgot where i wanted to go and what you were saying all right so let me let me just go ahead you know if it comes back to me it'll come back to me but let's go into the next question about so thinking about what you talked about like you've talked about a lot here you especially brought up kind of sexuality in the black community, right? And so if there is anything that you feel like black folks maybe either get wrong or they um, maybe miss the opportunity to grow in as it relates to sexuality, what do you think that might be and why? Hmm. So sitting in it, I think, I think when it comes to love, we're in a survival mode, mm. right? And everybody comes in with a survival mode because we're surviving white supremacy. We're trying to survive patriarchy. We're trying to survive capitalism, texturism, fat phobia, colorism, all of the stuff, right? And, and you said mm-hmm. it earlier, it, it's easier uh, to, to raise folks than to heal folks. Mm-hmm. And everybody comes with already having parts broken and hurt and wounds, And when we bring that to love, and I hate the term like, oh, you're supposed to come 50-50. I'm like, no, you're not. I need you to be a whole person. Right. Right. right, I mean, you know, I'm not expecting you 100% every day. Like, you you can give me a good 80-85 and we cool. But like. You you know what makes me, wait, you know what popped in my head? What? Like, I need you to be thriving for, striving for 100 because 99 yes. and a half won't do like be, at least be striving for a hundred. You ain't got to be right. out of hundred, but be striving for a hundred. Thank you. <laughs> like that complacency, like, no, like, so you're not trying to grow. We just going to be the same people like year after year and then wonder why we're unhappy. And so that whole idea of trying to survive it and then, then betting on struggle love, like the fuck, why? Mm-hmm. why? If you're not happy, if you were genuinely unhappy, there is somebody else out there for you. Yeah, yeah. So talk, tell me about that. Talk to me about what that looks like in terms of, I mean, of course you can't go into details, but talk to me about what that looks like with the the clients that you serve. Because we know we've already talked about kind of the educational aspects, the way you show up naturally as an educator, but you're also a therapist, right? Mm-hmm. So, so tell us a little bit more about that and what that process is like when you're working with folks who have been groomed under the idea of struggle love. So, and that's amazing because it's actually a lot of education just in a therapy room, right? So we mm. talk about what are your values? How are you upholding your values right now? But then mm-hmm. also, what were the models that have trained you in how to do this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So is that the model that you want to uphold and show your kids? Yeah. And they'd be like, oh, like, yeah, that's what you're doing. Yeah. Right. And so we have to reframe like, hey, remember how patriarchy told you that this person was invaluable because of their size? And do you see how that is now leaking into your sexual relationship and why you're not having sex right now? 
Mm-hmm. That badge is still a fat poom. It still feels the same. <laughs> right? Yes. Like, come on. Right. So I, I see that. And then I see folks really hanging on to things to their detriment. Mm-hmm. Right? It is okay to let go. Sometimes you are better apart. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you are better parents apart. Sometimes you are better people apart. It doesn't mean that it has to be forever. Yeah. But this is literally hurting you on a regular basis. You literally are breaking your own monogamous vows and things that you say that you want over and over and over again, mm-hmm. which is bringing harm and more harm. And once that trust deteriorates, people don't just be like, oh, I'm good. Let's go to the next thing. They carry it right. with them. It's relationship. Or they're like, yes, I'm moving on to the next thing, but they can't like that. That right. next thing is like, I'm not fully prepared for this next thing. I just want this next thing. Right, right. I'm like, you are raw in the middle. Like you look like crispy <laughs> dough on the outside. You raw. Don't know about no. Raw in the middle, not no. raw in the middle. <laughs> so, and that's what I see show up, and I'm just like, oh my goodness, because people haven't been taught to be vulnerable. Right, black folks see vulnerability as weakness. Mm. this is a weakness mm. and I need to stomp out this weakness and I have to be strong, especially black women. Cause the black superwoman, I got to be strong and I got to handle everything. And I, I can't show, you know, that I, they're trying to be scandal characters. And I'm like, why are we trying to be a really a Pope? <laughs> well, let's get in, Let's get into that. Right. Because there's so many, I, I feel like there's such a big piece of what you're saying that I feel like represents what the history has been like, but also, also the damage of what those dynamics have been over time right mm-hmm. so i have seen both for men and women but and i think probably to a certain degree especially for men because they're not groomed as much to be in touch with their emotions mm-hmm. but this idea of open people who come to their sex lives and their love lives with open hearts mm-hmm. but then over time it gets deteriorated because of the pain because of yeah I did Mm -hmm. open my heart but like you said there weren't any models to like help me figure out well how do I negotiate when something goes wrong Mm -hmm. and so then now I'm hurt and I don't realize I need to take time to heal that hurt I'm just oh well you know that's just black love I gotta get up I gotta Mm -hmm. go you know go tough (laughs) it out that's what it is and it's like (laughs) like yes it should be work but it shouldn't hurt like it shouldn't be hard work right Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And and with and specifically with black men, right? So like, you know, patriarchy makes victims of boys first. And so I think black men have specifically been pigeonholed into how they're supposed to be allowed to express, how they're supposed to show up, how they're supposed to be loving. And we see that with like the Russell Simmons versus Future idea. And I'm like, why? Okay. <laughs> Russell Wilson. Yes, Russell Simmons. <laughs> Russell Wilson. Right? See, I'm getting old. Russell Simmons is a whole other conversation that we're not bringing into this. No, we're not. We're not. Uh, So, yeah, Russell Wilson versus Peter. And, like, okay, sure. But I will say that black women also have to be accountable for their parts in this. For the hurt that some of these men hold. I think it's, I think it's, definitely think it's about then. I think sometimes we don't acknowledge, um, well, I think it's a, a social benefit to not acknowledge the pain that black men go through, right? I think everybody has a vested interest in black men not owning their pain because mm-hmm. we want to uphold this image of black men as being impenetrable, mm-hmm. right? And being so strong, so tough that, you know, nothing can take them out. And, and you know, I think, listen, as, as an avid romance novel reader, I, I see this trope <laughs> all the time of like, yep. oh, this black man, you know, 
he, he ain't can't nothing ever ruffle his nope, feathers. Nope, he's so hard. Nope. Like and, and it's like he's a rock. Everybody want to cry. Everybody wants to cry sometimes. Sometimes that shit hurt. Or at least just acknowledge I've been hurt. Mm-hmm. Can I get some, can I get some redress of this pain that I'm feeling? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and yeah, and I think patriarchy makes it difficult because I would argue that statistically there are more, more women report that experience of having been hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like, it paints this idea of like, oh, well, men are trash. We don't need to fix their issues. If they got issues, that's on you, bro. You should just go right. to a the therapist. And it's like, we all hurting. We all right. just need Can to be we... So it's, it's that projection of that internalization of the superhuman. Yes. Right? Yes. Like, yes. if you don't want to be a superhuman, why do you think he want to be a superhuman? <laughs> Can we, like, and so right. my lover, my lover did this. I asked him to like, come get a spider or something. I'm really scared of spiders. And my spiritual friend told me that Anansi was like sending me abundance. And I, I feel that now. But I was like, can Anansi send some bunny rabbits or like <laughs> can a Anansi deer? Just send some cash? Does it have to right. be a spider? Just send me a Does deposit. it have to be a spider? Right. Can <laughs> and, and she was like, well, he sends many of them because he knows some are going to die. I said, they all going to die. I'm calling the exterminator people. So Uncle Anansi needs to send somebody else. Right. But I called my lover to come Anansi can show up himself. Right. Anansi please. The flesh. Please visit me in the dreams. I am cool. Check. Don't show up at my house. I'm going to cut you. But like, I'm scary. I'm from the South. I don't play with spirit. But I called my lover to come kill it. He was like, did you ever think that I was scared of spiders too? I was like, oh, yo. Good point. Good point. Damn, you're <laughs> right. And I had, because you're a man, you're not scared of spiders. And I'm like, my bad, fam. Let's go ahead and get the raid then because it <laughs> got to die. All right. Yeah. He was like, baby, you don't have to use that much. I was like, is it alive? And he said, no. <laughs> <laughs> so we were good. But I had to realize like, oh, wait, you know, he is a human. He has fears. And yeah. those fears are, could be spiders. It could be commitment. It could be being hurt. It could be not being a good parent. It could be all of these things. Yeah. It could be insecurity about their bodies. And we don't extend that. And so I think that's part of the work I get to do. I get to humanize people in the therapy room because people yes. just see them as so powerful. And, and it's yes. hard because we, we're dope and we do dope stuff. So it's like, yeah, yeah you know, my, my babe is moving and shaking and is a boss. And I'm like, but do they want to be a boss at home? Mm-hmm. Do they want to be a boss in the bed with you? Yeah. What would and happen? Who, and who needs humanization more than black people? I, mm. I ask. Mm-hmm. Right? Who needs mm-hmm. that more than us? That's, that is healing work. Like you said, it's it's healing work. Um, so I want to go back. It came to me what I wanted to ask you about. Yay. When you were talking about shame-free sex ed. You mentioned that you are using he and she when you are talking to Garnet and referring to Garnet at this point. Can you just expound a little bit for the people about, one, what are you even talking about when you say he and she? But then, two, what you understand in terms of the science around gender identity and kind of how you are letting that show up in your interactions with Garnet? Mm-hmm. So great questions. Cause there's been so many questions around like, do you determine the gender identity based on the assigned sex at birth for a child? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what does it mean? My absolute goal is to have my child come out to me, whatever their orientation is, mm-hmm. whatever their sexuality is, whatever their gender presentation is. I want them to come out to me because I don't want them to think that there is a norm. Mm-hmm. There is no mm-hmm. norm. And mm-hmm. the socialization, um, Bouvier says that the socialization of children starts for their gender at birth. 
right? And I'm like, no, it actually starts in the womb. It starts in utero. Right? It starts in the womb. People talking to your belly, all kinds of, get away from me. Uh, (laughs) All types of ways. (laughs) But I didn't want that for her because, you know, especially my my garnet is darker, um, has more melanin. And so people will automatic and is also larger as a child. Mm -hmm. So people already start to call garnet masculine, right? Mm -hmm. And tough. Mm -hmm. And all of these things just because of how Garnet exists in a body. So mm-hmm. when Garnet started to talk to me like, oh, it's a boy thing or it's a girl thing. I'm like, it's a person thing. And you can do whatever you want with it. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to make sure I didn't put those gender norms on what my child was and was supposed to do. Garnet yeah. wears boy underwear because it has the Paw Patrol characters that Garnet likes on it. That's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm like, are these comfortable? Garnet says, yes. I'm like, okay, you can have them. Rock yeah. out. Because we don't need to have those bounds. Again, I'm really about liberation. I want to remove these obstacles around sexuality for our tiny humans, for that next generation. And part of those obstacles come with gender. And I'm not here for it. Not not with these two. Like, y'all can do what y'all want, but not with these two over here. (laughs) Well, tell me, tell what are your thoughts about people, um, especially Black parents, who are concerned that they may be steering their child in a particular direction by allowing fluidity of pronouns or, um, you know, fluidity of sexual expression or gender expression? What is your response to them? Well, the science says that actually most people are fluid. Like a majority on the bell curve, 60, mm-hmm. 65 to 70% of people are fluid. One, mm-hmm. that's what science says over time. Mm-hmm. And it's happened again and again, and it does not matter what your genitals are. But mm-hmm. two, children know who they are until mm-hmm. we start to stomp it out. Facts. Actual facts. Right? <laughs> right? So, and think about it. When you were young and a creative and you wanted to do all these things, and then that person told you that you couldn't, mm-hmm. that this wasn't for you that you should quiet down or you should color in the lines or you need to conform in whatever way, shape and form. And then you let that go. Mm -hmm. Right. Children know who they are. It's our job to amplify who they say they are and to steer them to not to be like, you know, asshole people (laughs) in in, in the great (laughs) scheme of life. And not to be so restricted. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's where we start. I love that. I think about, um, I remember someone saying, and this was kind of their argument against uh, children's gender identities by saying, well, my three-year-old, you know, identifies as a dinosaur. Does that mean I I should be, you know, you, you know, kind of saying this thing. And it's like, no, that's the beauty of being three. You can be whatever it is that you want to be. If you want to be a dinosaur today, you're a dinosaur today. And that's what we're going to use. We're going to use raw pronouns or whatever it is that you want. And that should be the beautiful thing. And and I think um, mm-hmm. I think by and large society has been stifled, but especially Black folks because we have been so racialized under this like what you said, this topic, this idea of struggle that it's like we can't imagine anything. Like I think something as simple as like how I wear my hair or being able to dye your hair different colors, like all mm-hmm. the things where it's like as you're a kid, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. And it's like, well, when can you do that? Right. Right. Because then you get old and you're told, oh, well, you're too old to be doing that. And right. Like, well, when can I just be free? When can I just be free? Exactly. Exactly. Like, and and not have my actions reflect some type of ultimate penalty mm-hmm. against the race or against myself. Child, the entire race. The entire race, right? It's offensive to the entire race. They're bringing us down. Like, 
how is this child's purple hair bringing you down? What? Right, like, purple like, listen. Okay. No. <laughs> no. Like, I think about that. I think about um, Zaya Wade, who mm-hmm. is just amazing. I saw her uh, conversation with Michelle Obama. Yes. And I was just like, oh, this baby. Like, obviously not, but to me, everybody's a uh-huh. baby. Once you... <laughs> Once you hit 40, everybody's a baby under 30. Um, and I'm like, this baby just uh, just showing up with these braids. and just like, yes, I'm having mm-hmm. a conversation with the first lady. Right. Like, I, like how, how are you mad? Like, I don't get how people are frustrated by this. And, and I, I think it's, it, it feels like it threatens the, the conformity of the proof, right? So I think black folks have gotten so bogged down with proving their humanity mm-hmm. yep. because of how it was wrenched from us and how it still gets wrenched from us, if I'm quite honest, right? Yep. That we have to conform and perform these genderized notions to prove that we're human. That's it. Well, and, and even to prove that we belong, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's the human piece, but there's also the the piece that I feel like has been part of, like, we call it respectability politics, but I think a better name for it is the civilized gaze. Um, and it's mm-hmm. this idea of, like, we're just like you. We're just like you. Yeah. And it's like, actually, Black folks ain't like y'all. No. We, we've, been, we've been out here. We've been futuristic since forever. Mm-hmm. And when we lean into that, that is where our liberation really is. Right. Not trying to be like other regulars, other basic folks, but being fully ourselves mm-hmm. and being in our image and in our communities and our sense and our our values. That, to me, is where the real liberation is. Yes. Yes. So. And seeing that collective power, right? Yes. We, we literally define the cultural lexicon of this country. Period. Period. But I want to move, I want to just shift a little bit um, thinking about everything that you've just said, right? And knowing that there's folks who are listening who are like, Yo, Dr. Lex is dropping some sense. Um, I love this. I, I, I want to change my life with my relationships. I want to have better sex. I want to have better uh, love in my Black relationships. I want to raise my children to be freer. I want to see all of this energy that she's talking about flow in my life. And I don't know the first step to take to get there. <laughs> what would you say for those folks in terms of just where do they start and then how do they proceed? So I'm I'm actually like building up a model for this right now that I'm presenting on model? Uh, Come the rest on. of this model's year. Model. So it's it's called a briefs model, um, which is an acronym, of course. And I won't walk you through the whole model, but the the I mean, core can, but... <laughs> the core of it is you start. I want you to start with the negative beliefs you have about yourself, mm-hmm. right? And so I will tell you mine. Mine are that I am not good enough. It is what comes up over and over for again for me. Um, Mm -hmm. just the way that I've existed in the world and been socialized. And then I want you to look at the repercussions of that one belief. Start off with one, not all of them. So that's the trunk of your shame tree. Mm -hmm. And I want you to put the leaves. The leaves are all those instances of those repercussions of believing in this, Mm -hmm. right? Choosing crappy relationships, um, letting people go that were actually golden for you, um, not seeking out other job opportunities or career paths. Shoot, letting people stay. <laughs> also that, um, <laughs> feeling like you failed your, your your offspring in some way, whatever form, shape or form, right? Not getting the pleasure that you should have and that you deserve and that is your right. 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 And, and looking at that. So when you start to dismantle what that is, 
I want you then to look at where you got this belief. Who taught you that you weren't good enough? What institutions taught you that you weren't good enough? What individuals taught you that you weren't good enough? Where do they overlap, right? So like me, it was the the Black Baptist Church, right? I wasn't baptized and I was going to hell. And if you know where I came from and the things I have survived, you would know that I am clearly blessed and highly favored and anointed. I'm just not baptized. Well, let the people know. (laughs) That's what it is. You don't mess with, you don't mess with anointed. And you have to start to look at like, are these my belief systems? These are these more than likely they're not. Yeah. And more than yeah. likely, there's some holes there. And you want to find the congruence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You actually reminded me of something um, Dominique Morgan said uh, last summer at, um, shout out to Dom. Hey, Dom. Hey, Dom. Um, I know she's way too busy to be listening to this show. I know she <laughs> But uh, at uh, TSOB, the live event last summer, she said, um, she was saying to someone, is that, is it serving you? Like, is, is even if you've embraced it as your value, even if you've embraced it as your kind of your MO or whatever, mm-hmm. ask yourself, is it a ch- helping you achieve the outcome that you intended? Mm-hmm. Right? Because there's a lot of things that we do that if we took time to stop moving on autopilot and really started to pay attention, we'd realize, wow, I've never questioned this before. I just did it because mm-hmm. that's what everybody did. Mm-hmm. And it never occurred to me that this is not serving me. It has not been serving me. And that I have the power to stop and make a different choice. Right. Exactly. I'm making the light face. Bulb, it's so important. So important. It's Absolutely. empowering. It's when you realize you have choice. And yes. we didn't, as Black folks, especially in climates of danger and climates of patriarchy and whiteness, we often don't feel like there are choices. Mm-hmm. It's like, I have to do this thing because now That's I represent it. my entire race or That's because it. my family is going to shame me or well, my community. Well, because there's literal repercussions, right? right? Access right. to jobs, access to social capital, access to these things. There are penalties, right? In some cases, access to life. Yes. You know, when we yes. intersect with systems um, that are connected to violence, right? right? It could cost me my life to make the choice that I would like to make in this situation. Exactly. Safety. So it's not that, like, I think, it, um, I, I, just to piggyback off what you said, I think it's not shaming, right? This mm-hmm. is not to shame Black folks for our choices and the things that we've made, but it's to acknowledge, because we recognize we did that based on what we had at the time. Mm-hmm. And there's also the space to acknowledge, like, things are changing. They're not right. completely changed, but things are changing. We're like, yeah, girl, like, Nobody cares if you want to have a whole phase anymore. Mm-mm. Right. And that's, again, that's that survival piece, right? Yeah. We're starting to shift from just quote unquote surviving, at least in some realms, right? You still might yeah. be living paycheck to paycheck and trying to survive. That's real. Absolutely. Yeah. You might still be struggling with all of the other things. And I need you to realize that you're a whole human that deserves the respect that other people get from you. That's it. That's it. That is it. Absolutely. I love that. Um, Okay. So we are going to, I have my rapid fire questions coming up in a second, but before we get there, I want you to reflect for the people on what you feel like your, um, in terms of being a black sexuality educator, what you feel like your significance is in this particular moment in time, right? Thinking about everything that's happened, even within the past year, maybe even five years, um, and just how you see yourself fitting within the changes that seem to be happening socially as a black sexuality educator. So as a black sexuality educator, 
I think my role has been to knock gates down. I tend to be, and it's my approximate, like it's my proximity to whiteness. It's, I am quote unquote, the less intimidating, intimidating black person. Um, I have education and letters behind my name that are quote unquote qualifiers. It's all of these things, but I typically am one of the first black people to predominantly white tables. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and in leadership roles and predominantly white organizations. Mm -hmm. And I want to knock those gates down. So I'm Mm -hmm. not the only, Mm -hmm. right? So like knowing that we're walking into alliance and knowing that it's not a safe place, but knowing that we definitely can build our own tables. And if we want, take over this one too. (laughs) Cause we will. (laughs) A word, a word. So yes, I want to, and I I didn't have that model, so this is why, if y'all don't know the story, when I saw Tracy, Tracy was sitting with um, another Black woman, and I was in yes. awe. I was in awe. I was 25. I just came from a program that was solely white people. I didn't even have a, I didn't have a person of color professor um, at that time, because our one person of color professor ended up getting cancer and didn't teach our class mm. um, and survived cancer. Right. But I had no, and like my entire cohort, there was one Latino male uh, who I was super close with. I never saw black femmes doing this work. Mm. And my cry because it meant so much. I'm like, I am not alone doing this work. Yeah. And now there's a cohort of us that are doing amazing things. And I'm not the young one anymore. I'm not the young shouty. Yeah, but we're doing amazing things, and the love and building and camaraderie that exists within that is mind blowing and exactly how it should be. Yeah. So I saw her. I was like, "Oh my God, it's other black people!" What y'all talking about? And I swear to God, they were talking about fried chicken. And were we? <laughs> I was like, "What?" And Tracy looked at me and something I said about fry. I was like, oh, no, not the stereotypes. Tracy was like, I am that stereotype. I was like, all right. I just am. Tracy, like, tried chicken at that time. Absolutely. It's (sighs) yummy. And now even I don't eat chicken as much anymore, but I will eat a a fried oyster mushroom that has been sauteed (laughs) like it is chicken. Absolutely, I will. Absolutely, I will. That's my role is to to show folks that we exist. And we can thrive and survive and do what we want to do unapologetically being black while doing it. That's it. That's it. And I, yeah, I definitely think I've had to learn that lesson um, because I, I too, I think came to sex ed still kind of with this idea of, of needing to be something different than myself. And over time being able to understand that there's no way that you're going to show up that won't cause people to be uncomfortable with you. Mm. That has been enough to kind of shift and be like, all right, then well, shit, let me just bring the whole nigga out. <laughs> Let's just <laughs> yeah. fully go in, right? Let's just fully go in, you know? Um, and, and I actually, while we're telling stories, I'm going to tell the story that always leaves me full was, um, and how it, I, I hate using this very often, but I think in this context, representation really does matter. Mm -hmm. I'm reminded of being, having class the day after Whitney Houston passed away and being in a classroom with one other black person and all the, the, actually that same black person that um, actually shouts out to Lynette Medley (laughs) um, of no more secrets, secrets. mind, body and spirit. Um, 
and we were in class and you came in and it was like, we all knew what was up. It was, and you were like, do you need a hug? And it was like, absolutely. And all the white people were like, I don't get it. What is going on? <laughs> and it was like, no, actually we need a moment. Mm-hmm. We need a goddamn moment. Mm-hmm. And I won't get into the whole story because it actually got a little sensitive later with some of the folks in that class, but, but being able to be seen and being able to be not only seen, but known mm-hmm. that was so important. Yes. And I know, um, to be able to be like, yes, I need a hug. And to know that you knew exactly what it was and that Lynette knew what it was. Mm-hmm. Like that was, that to me is the reason why I'm always like, where are we? Yeah. Where the, where Word. are we? <laughs> Word. Yes. So definitely. Um, okay. You ready to answer some rapid fire questions? Um, all right. <laughs> Let's see what flies out my mouth. It's okay. It's beautiful. It's always, it's beautiful. Um, So you know what it is. You've heard the show. So you know there are five sentence stems. You are giving me exactly what comes to the top of your mind. No editing. We will get into it. Okay. All right. Let's go. Okay. So the first one, sexiness is. My body. (laughs) Amen. See how easy that was? See how easy that was? Yes. Boom. The sexiest thing about blackness and or black people is. Oh, the taste of the skin. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. My go-to for feeling sexy is. My go-to for feeling sexy is typically clothes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Typically clothes. Yeah. I, um, every time I ask this question for people, for myself, I imagine, um, you know, the Astro catalog, right? I, I always think of the satin, one of them yeah. satin caftans. Yes, that's my, that's my go-to. Or just anything uh. satiny. <laughs> All right. Sexual freedom for Black folk is achieved when? When we realize that our sexuality is not a weapon, but it's a gift. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Wow. Absolutely. I'm surprised that came out of my head. All right. Yeah, let's go. See? See? Let's look at go. you. Look at I'm you. Pouring, you nervous and now you're giving us the gems. Look at that. Look at that. Somebody wrote that down. I know it. Um, last but not least, when I am done being on this podcast, I will. I will reflect in some gratefulness. Yeah, I'm going to reflect in some gratefulness of, of being here again, of having this sisterhood uh, of you and I having our bond in the way that we do. I'm, I'm just beyond grateful, beyond grateful. Oh my goodness. <gasps> okay. All right. All right. <laughs> Lex, thank you so much. Dr. Lex, thank you so much for being on with me. I am so grateful that you joined me and that you were willing to be part of this conversation. Um, before you go, can you let folks know where they can find you and all the social medias and all of those things? And if, well, if you have anything coming up in the month of May or after, yeah. go ahead and mention that as well. So uh, you can find me on all social media platforms. And that, that's not true because I'm not good at the TikTok. I just downloaded the app though. <laughs> Um, and for you, I'm still not, I'm kicking and screaming. Uh, look, it's not easy. Uh, Lex sex doc. So that's L E double X sex S E X doc as in doctor D O C. 
I'm like sex doc on Twitter, Instagram, and um, you can put that in Facebook and it'll pop up the couples clinician. And then I'm lexsexdoc.com and you can uh, subscribe to my email list. I send out freebies for intimacy worksheets and, and workbook things. And in May, I'm actually going to be at the University of Michigan talking about the Black Girl's Guide to Getting Rid of Sexual Shame and introducing that model to sexuality professionals there so they can go and take it and use it with their own clientele, but hopefully to help inform them about what it looks like. And then I'm going to start some intimacy couples workshops. It'll be a six-week work series. You're going to work through my workbook. You're going to learn conflict management. We're going to do some coloring of hot spots and sexy heat maps. And I then we're also going to talk about a whole bunch of other arrays of how to build intimacy in your relationship that include values and where you stand and what roles you need to perform in order for you all to be a success. Yes. I love that so much. And I will say, I will, I, I, I tell y'all the truth when I've tried things out. I don't currently have a boo now, but I did use one of Dr. Lex's worksheets. Um, and it was super helpful. So for folks who are like, how can I yes. do intimacy or how can I do something that ain't just about sex? Try some of these worksheets because they are actually really, really good. They're really, really creative and interesting. So thank I you. Those. Um, so with that, we are done. Thank you all for listening. Enjoy wherever it is that you are going outside of here. And we will talk again soon. Bye, y'all. Bye. You've been listening to TSOB with Dr. G, produced by Dr. Tracy Q. Gilbert of Tembi and Aya. To keep up with all things TSOB, follow us on social media at TSOB The Podcast, which you can find on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. For past episodes of the show, visit TSOBpodcast.com or subscribe to the show either on YouTube or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Now, Don't forget that you've got homework for this episode. To find the downloadable worksheet for this or any other episode of the show, head on over again to tsobpodcast.com where you'll find it and any other important information from the show notes. And finally, do you have any questions or thoughts to share? Sound off by email at mailbox at tsobpodcast.com. Again, this was TSOB, the sex ed of black folk. Thank you for listening. Talk again soon.